in comedy you do have to hit certain beats to do well and mm -hmm. timing is very important Definitely. and i feel as a musician does it m make it easier to hit those sweet spots good point um very good point there's um there's a there's a thing that i do that i'm sort of known for in comedy where after i finish a song the audience start applauding i say no don't that's so pavlovian just because a song's finished and you clap, right? I'm a comedian. I'm meant to just like earn my applause breaks. If you find it funny, laugh, right? And I've known that. And I, tr and I try and like, it, it comes across as me being stern. It's like, how dare you applaud at my work? But I want to make them relax. I don't want it to be like, because as I said before, and I'll clarify it because I don't think I said a number. I believe 95% of musical comedy is terrible. Welcome to another bombastic, amazing, bombastic episode of The Comedian's Paradise. This is the comedy podcast where we speak to transcendent, adventurous, unique characters from across the comedy world and inspire comedians like you and me to live this comedy journey on our own terms. If you like the episode, share it with your friends, give us a five-star review on Amazon or iTunes, and of course, subscribe to watch more tantalizing and fantastic episodes that are much better than a Domino's pizza. Now, we have an absolutely fantastic guest. He is a man that's going to bring musical comedy to your ears. We have Frizz. He's a man that's been in the Edinburgh Fringe for over 10 years. He's conquered Edinburgh. He is, he's a man who has, during the lockdown, a lot of comedians struggling. He sort of mastered it. He became a TikTok sensation. People loved his musical women's. And he is a man with many fascinating stories to tell. And you guys are going to absolutely love him. Please say hello to Frizz. Hello. Yay. Oh, hello, everyone listening. I'm Frizz. How are you? Not They're not very talkative, are they? They're not very talkative back, are they? No. Uh, hello, Marvin. Pleasure to be on the show. How are we doing? I, I would love to see what dogs... I mean, goldfish really think you know like if there was if they had a comedy show and get these little chihuahuas that are always getting stroked all the time they must get pissed off and oh. i'd love to hear the commentary in their head if they're getting all these people stroking them and then if someone has bad breath and strokes them i'd love to hear a commentary of a little chihuahua saying get of off me, you, you smelly bastard <laughs> i mean I, ha I have done um comedy to dogs before there there, there are um shows where it's encouraged that audiences uh, bring their dogs and like it, it's very it's, it's very comforting knowing that before the show half your audience aren't even going to understand what you're saying that's really fun that's really, I, I think the last time that happened i gigged in switzerland and yeah not not a lot of people keen on uh on my songs when they've not heard of them nor know what i'm singing it's great <laughs> I'll be honest though, I think I think um, dogs are quite funny things to bring on stage. I mean, there's a funny Britain's Got Talent thing with a dog. Oh, yes. And then there's... Uh, they, they, they just do funny things on stage. I've had two really funny moments on stage with a dog. One where a dog, um, just a little sausage dog, Deshaun just barked randomly before a comedian said they punched them, which was hilarious. Right. Another one where uh, a dog scared the shit out of me on stage. Uh, someone brought the dog up stage 
and I had a pizza and I was giving people pizzas and I pretended I was going to say, dog, do you want a pizza? The dog started barking, made me nervous. So I dropped the pizza in the chair. So the dog goes and gets growls at me. So I dropped the pizza in the chair. Yeah. Then the dog starts running forward and then it goes on the chair, eats the pizza. And once it finishes the pizza, he acts like nothing happened. No, of course not. Of course not. Um, I love dogs. Uh, dogs love me as well because um, I'm, I'm very sweaty and they enjoy salt. So they will they will automatically start licking me. And then their owners were like, oh, well, he's, he's, he's usually not that friendly with people. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just a sweaty bastard. Uh, it's uh, it, it's good. I, I love dogs. Um, trying to think uh, when I when I last gigged with dogs in the audience and it's obviously because obviously they don't know what I'm saying but I don't know what they're saying so they could be heckling they could like they could not like my Brexit material because they wanted to wanted to leave the EU and wanted to get done quickly I don't know maybe maybe the dogs are are right wing I'm not entirely sure but uh, yeah it's very it's very difficult to talk I don't know why we started talking about dogs I said something about this comedy sketch on yeah. dogs, and I think it, I still think it could be good like a it funny could. sort of a comedy vlog doing the voice of a dog whilst it gets bothered by people especially the small ones I just thought it would be oh, funny yeah. well um, I recently watched um, the, the movie Extinct um, it claims uh, written by and directed by the people who brought you the Simpsons movie but there's about five jokes in it and uh, what one of it? Um, like spoilers, spoilers for the the movie Extinct. By the way, a Sky original. Um, I don't know how many people are going to be angry that I've spoiled the film Extinct for them, but um, it turns out that the main villain is a uh, uh, this uh, this tiny little cute dog who um hates uh, these other animals because they're cuter than dogs and like it's it's sort of anger. So I, I recommend Extinct for you, uh, Marvin, if if, if you, you want to see the mindset of it. Obviously, that that reveal is uh is revealed about three quarters of the way in the movie. But uh, yes, it's uh, it's something 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 to watch. The movie's still all right. It's a what? It's definitely a movie I've seen this year. That's my review of it. Yeah, I'll have a look. It's it's and like speaking of movies and all that. Like, tell us a bit about your. You know, like Joe Rogan likes to say, be the hero of your own movie, but I'm going to change it. You know, how was your your movie in comedy? How did you get started? And wow. How did you get to where you are today? Ten out of ten for that segue. That was brilliant. Um, yeah, I've uh, I've always looked as uh, what I do, if your viewers don't know, is that I mainly do parody songs. Uh, which are uh, changing the words of pre-existing songs. So half my work is already done for me, but it's it's mainly like musical puns. That's great. And I've always been doing that. I've always been there since the age of seven, I believe is the, the youngest I remember. But uh, my mum's currently going through um, some old VHS movies of uh, when I was four and uh, five and six and seven and various young ages. And I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it at that young an age. Uh, just changing the words, whether or not, because I, I I was deaf for the first uh, four or five years of my life. So maybe that is just how I heard the songs. Uh, but uh, all kids do it. Uh, my, my sister once um, recently sent me a video of her son, my nephew, uh, singing along to um, Fleetwood Mac's Dreams. And uh, the, the lyric is, when the rain washes you, then you know, or something like that. But uh, my nephew was convinced, adamant, that the lyric was, uh, when the rain washes you, clean your nose. And... 
my sister heard Ben singing this and was found it hilarious. And obviously my nephew is, um, you know, seven and didn't realise that wasn't the lyric. Why wouldn't it be the lyric? That's a perfectly fine lyric. Wash your nose in the rain. That's perfectly okay. Um, so, yeah, so kids do it all the time. Football fans do it all the time. You'll see it at uh, various football matches. They will be uh, singing along to pop songs, but with different words about either various players or various referees or managers. Um, like I've, I've been watching Ted Lasso, uh, binged all of that. That's when, and there's this character there called uh, Jamie Tart, and it cuts to the football fan singing Jamie Tart's name to the tune of Baby Shark, and that is very much a, a football fan. You know, it's it, it's one of the staples of being a football fan. You come up with these songs, so I've always been obsessed uh, with the sort of thing. And then um, I think when I was 11, I discovered Weird Al Yankovic, uh, Bob Ritchie, Tom Lehrer, Amateur Transplants in my teens. And then I started like writing these little songs, but I never performed them on stage. I performed them to a camera in my bedroom and uploaded them to YouTube for about five people to eventually stumble upon. Um, then I lived in Newcastle and I did, um, I did a course in performance and that, uh, that, that, that made me you know, a lot more braver to be upstage. And then after that course had finished, um, I was introduced to the Pink Lane Jazz Cafe, uh, which was this monthly night of poetry and performance. And uh, I went there originally to watch a friend do some poetry, but there was some comedy in there as well. There were some songs. And I thought, yeah, you know, I could, I could do this. And um, a friend of mine at the time, Liam, and uh, he convinced me to perform there. But uh, he would play guitar. I would do my silly little songs. He'd harmonize. And that was really fun. We did like little 10 minute sets. We ended up being the, the house band there uh, monthly with these like this new material, me on piano, him on guitar and harmonizing and uh, singing my silly little songs that I'd written. And eventually we went our separate ways and I eventually started doing my, I did my first comedy night in, um, would have been March of 2012 um, above a pub near St. James's Park. And I was very, my first, uh, my first set, it was very, very dry. Like um, I, I that that I decided that would be my persona, like a mix of being really like dry and just these observations, and then like a silly little camp song, and the two didn't gel at all. So it took me a while to sort of like develop my persona on stage. But I did the stupid thing of my first ever live comedy show was this ten minute set in March 2012, unpaid in an attic above a pub, and I'd already written all this material from the last like three years or so. So I had the material on me, and I thought, you know what? I'll do the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, I'll just do five days there and it'll be brilliant. I'll be discovered. And so I put like an hour of these songs together and uh, they put me in a lovely venue called Fingers Piano Bar, uh, which is a great venue. I love the venue. It is very classy, has its own big grand piano. It's a nice underground cool bar, but it is in uh, a place in Edinburgh where if you're flyering, um, the people either live in Edinburgh or work in Edinburgh, and it is about a mile and a half away from the Royal Mile. So if you fly around the Royal Mile and say, I'm doing a show a mile and a half away, they're like, no, we're going to walk past 400 free shows on the way there. So it's very difficult to market. But um, I was a new comedian. It was so my, I think one of the uh, one of the first ever performances I did at the Edinburgh Fringe, I had five people in the audience and three of them were at the wrong show. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, they were waiting for the show after me. The, the show after me um, was called A Rabbi's Daughter, a very Jewish musical. And these uh, three in full on Hasidic Jew outfits uh, came in. <laughs> and like 10 minutes into my show, they just were not laughing. And I was like, are you in the wrong show? 
I'll give you an amnesty now. You can leave if you want. And they decided to leave. And I was like, good on you. Good on you. If, 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 you're, if you're expecting something called The Rabbi's Daughter and see me camping it up on a piano doing cock jokes, you might be at the wrong show. So it, it took a while for me to sort of like build up my presence. But uh, I enjoy it. I just I just keep writing this little song. The, the beautiful thing about parodies is uh, it's an infinite supply of stimuli. Um, there will always be new songs. There'll always be new hits in the charts. I can just see what sounds like the chorus, write a joke about it. And now I've got a minute's worth of material. Um, I, 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 keep, I keep thinking that my job is very, very easy and I really enjoy it. What, what so could you give me an example of what would be example of you doing a parody? So, for example, oh, well, um, uh, the main one that I usually open my shows with is of um, you know, Le Chic's uh, Freak song, you know, Freak Out. Du, 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 du. Can I have freak a look at it first to see yes, what you, you mean? Yes, you can. Le Chic, Le Freak, Le Chic, Le Freak. I'm gonna play it as well. Okay, let's have a look. I'm, I'm sure you'll get clearances to play this on the uh, on the podcast. That one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So, uh, are you on Spotify at the moment? Um, no. Okay. I, I, well, the podcast is on 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 it. But... Oh no, I know that. I know that. I was just I was just having searching that. But um, uh, my my one is about a guy who works at a '70s nightclub in the cloakroom, and uh, anytime someone hands in an item and doesn't check it out at the end, he gets to keep it. Ah, oh, free coat. And that's uh, that's that's what I do with that. It's very easy. I've got three and a half hours worth of albums available to buy if you if you enjoy that. It's just that joke again for three and a half hours essentially. What what made you decide to do that rather than like doing parodies of films? And... Oh, it's very difficult to do a parody of a film. Oh yeah, you need like more effort. You need to write a script uh, with with parodies of songs. Like if the idea is in my head, I can quickly learn it on the piano, film it on my phone, upload that to YouTube, and that's it. That's all that needs to be doing. And yeah. then once every 18 months or so, I get together in a studio and record like everything I've written in the last 18 months and put out a new album. Um, it's it's just the easiest way to do it. I would love, I used to, I used to do like, when I was 13, I loved the Adam and Joe show. And uh, whenever they did their um, parodies of films starring toys, that's what I would do as well. I would I would get my mum's massive camcorder and record these little parodies. They were pretty much adverbs on what Adam and Joe did, but uh, I, I did I did love that style. I do love the original parody movies, which were actual parody movies. They had plot in them as well. The stuff like Airplane, Hot Shots, um, Naked Gun, that sort of thing. They, they had a story going on. They occasionally referenced films, but it was just jokes and jokes and jokes, layers upon jokes. Yeah. And then in the um, early two thousands, we started getting things like. Uh, uh, teen movie, uh, no, teen movie was good. It was, I think, it was not another date movie. Yeah, um, I know which epic, one epic movie. Meet the Spartans, which are just—it's just references after references. There's no real story going on. There's no real jokes. The joke is this thing exists, and that's not a parody. There's a there's a scene in it's either epic movie or Meet the Spartans, one of those dreadful movies where all of a sudden Borat's there, right? And it's like, oh hi, I'm a Borat. And it's like, Borat's already a parody. You can't parody a parody. It, 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 it negates the whole thing. It gets rid of it. And it was just such really weird viewing. And yeah, that, that's my problem with like parodies nowadays, right? People think that so many people in the 2000s, because of things like uh, uh, Napster and Kazaa and LimeWire, 
So many people think Weird Al did songs like Oops, I Farted Again, or a song parody that had farts in it. It was attributed to Weird Al because, oh, that's the parody. Weird Al does parodies. It must be Weird Al. And the people liking this sort of thing and sharing it with their idiotic friends. It's like, oh, there's a song about farting. It's to the tune of Living La Vida Loca. It's called Living La Farta Farta. I'm not saying that was one, but it, it just angered me. It was like parodies can be so much more clever and creative than this. Especially Weird Al, he is an absolute genius. And to attribute his name to these borderline crass songs, it really got my goat. Uh, so I'm, I'm a very, um, I'm, 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 I'm an astute observer that um, a lot of comedy music is terrible. And when I, when I bring on my keyboard on stage, I can just hear the audience go, uh-oh, it's a comedy musician. And it is, there's so many people responsible for that sort of thing. And I, I take my comedy music very seriously, ironically. Um, I, I think a comedy song should be short to the point. Uh, horn section are fantastic at this. They will do their joke and then move on. And um, the amateur transplants as well, they would do their joke and then stop the song, move on to the next one. And that's what I've been inspired by. People who will do like a, a, a song, get to the punchline and then that's it. Because if, you, if you're doing parodies of a four minute song and want your parody to be four minutes long and you end up repeating the chorus of whatever, whatever words you've changed. But if you repeat the chorus and don't change anything within those four minutes, you're doing the same joke once every 30 seconds or so. And that's just repeating a joke. And it's lazy, I think it is. I think instead of doing that, just write your, write your parody up to the punchline and then stop. I love when comedians do that. I very much appreciate that. There are obviously objections to the rule. Well, there are some parody artists who will like change the chorus each time and, you know, make, still make it fresh and really good rhyme patterns. And uh, most comedy musicians do this, but there's, there's too many bad, there's too much bad comedy music out there, basically. Uh, that it, um, it tars us all with the same brush. And yeah. that, that's something that really sort of irks me, I will say. Yeah, you, you've basically described racism. Yes, <laughs> sure. people have. <laughs> Uh, racism through comedy music. Well, yeah, because it's it's like when people meet meet like it's like in some parts. If 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 um, I don't know, I went to a certain place where there's only white people, and they and I'm a bit of a prick. Mm. They just, and then then they started assuming that all Asians are pricks. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's just just because you met one person you didn't like okay. doesn't mean that they're all like that. Please do not title this podcast Frizz compares his comedy to systematic race abuse. Please No, uh, but it is it is it's, it was, it's a prejudice it, it's it's a prejudice. <laughs> yes, I I, I would, I would say that but degree. again I wouldn't say that because like people aren't, you know, getting beat up for being comedy musicians yet. Um <laughs> but it, it they are getting ridiculed and made f and there is there is like one thing that I get, I sometimes get in comedy, and I see a lot of, is that so people get very fixated on comedy being a certain way. If you're not like just the oh punk, yes, and so if you're different, they try and ridicule you mm -hmm. and say you're this and that, and it's like if you're not like the rest of us, you're this. But yeah, surely you it makes you very boring if you're all the same. Mm -hmm. Now I, I found that there's a there's a there's a certain city uh, where there's a, a bunch of uh, it's very cliquey comedians and the way that comedy circuit works is if you're not a comedian from that city or 
right? You're, you're like an outsider, famous person touring. Like they will not give you the time of day. Like if you, if you don't have that accent, they will just belittle you. And obviously I'm not gonna name the city because I'd like to gig there again in the future. But my God, it is so clear. I've known comedians leave that city because their career was going nowhere because they just kept, they were accepted in that particular city. And that's the only place they gigged at because you get caught in, in a system like that, where if you're not, if you don't have that accent, um, regional British accent in this particular city, um, then, and you're applauded, you're loved there, you will never leave. But, and then they confuse that with having a successful comedy career. Sure, it might like pay the bills, and but you're never gonna leave that particular city. And it upsets me that like comedians feel like if they wanna make it big, they have to leave their city. I know comedians who've like, like you know, they live and stay in Liverpool, Manchester, and like they, they never move to London or anything like that, but they still make it big despite not leaving their home city. But this particular one, if you want to make it big, you have to leave there. And I think that that was hideous. Um, like I saw it all the time. People can like talk to me about it all the time because I made an observation once in a green room and they were like, oh, my God, yes. And it is oh, it's so it's a, it's annoying that I can't go into more detail because obviously you'd want more information. But no, I, I cliquey comedians. I absolutely hate. Would I be able to ask you this after the pod? Certainly, certainly. And then you can put it as an Easter egg or a Patreon exclusive. I, no, don't, no, know. No. I don't know how you make your money. But um, yeah, yeah, no, that's that's the thing that I, yeah, that, and it's, I don't know, it's a bit head up your ass syndrome, I feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I, for me with comedy, I'd, you know, you do whatever you want to do, whatever works, works. It doesn't matter if I like it or whoever likes it. All that matters if the mm. audience are laughing. Yeah, and comedy it's... is absolutely subjective. That could be because, um, let's say, um, uh, very, 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 very recently, um, I've um, I've sort of come out as um, gender neutral. It's um, it's been a long time coming, um, and someone at work didn't know this, but made a joke about um, them they pronouns, and it was funny, and I I, I laughed. And then they turned to me and went, oh, I've never known someone to laugh at that. I went, well, yeah, but firstly, I identify as they there. Um, but secondly, that joke was funny. If their joke had offended me, I wouldn't have laughed, but I would have gone on with my day. Um, yeah. Because I'm not going to, there, there, there's um, the only time where like something's not, it's not offended me. It's like, I don't want to be associated with this person, right? There, there's, been, there's been times where I've been on the same bill as a person. And they have said something so ridiculous, like out of my uh, out of my depth, like not even in the same gene pool as my views, right? Like I I couldn't accept that sort of behavior. I will remove myself from that area and sort of say, I don't want anything to do with that person. Is that okay? Let's move on. But then whoever's said the thing that I've reacted like that to, will get so on the offence, um, will say how they're being like, oh, they're silencing me, they're silencing me. And it's like, no, I, I'm not silent. You say what you want. I'm just removing myself from the situation. I'm saying, I don't want any part of that. There is, I'm not banning you from saying anything. You do your problematic jokes on your own time. I'm just not going to be associated with that. It's the same with like, um, when I find out comedians are 
basically sex offenders. I will remove myself. I, so I will say, don't want anything to do with you. Uh, if I find myself in a gig, I'll remove myself. I won't say why, but that's what I'll do. And it's these people who are, they're, they're the ones who will label people the snowflakes for getting so offended. But the way that they react, if I remove myself from a situation, they will start saying, oh, you're snowflake. It's like, no, I'm really not. I just don't want to be a part of that. Like if, if, if time goes on and you improve your views, you have, you educate yourself, uh, then come back and say, right, yeah, time has passed. I've thought about what I've said. Yes, I know it's wrong. Uh, I'm sorry. I will say, excellent, let's move on. And it is, but it happens too many times, especially during the pandemic. People like had their filters completely off and were just saying anything they wanted. And it was just like, you say that if you want, I'm removing myself from the situation. Hmm. You mentioned a lot of interesting points there, and I would like to add a few things in there. Yes, please. I think I think people can say a lot of things, and it's often it's often always in the intention and the way it's said that matters more than the actual content. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time, not always, but I meant oh, like. Yeah. And one, yeah, I, I'm well. This is sort of a realization now. Um, I, I'm not really too bothered in playing any of these social climbing nonsense or mm. any of the other stuff. Like if I don't like someone or if I think that they're, they're a bit of a prick or they they cause a lot of trouble or they're going to bother me or anything like that, I'm not going to play any games of being being this or that. I'll just get rid of you. I'm not going to mm. be I'm not going to be rude about it, but I just won't. I'll just block you on Facebook or I won't. I'll block you on this and that. And it's like we're done. Like I'll. I'll be polite to you if I see you, but we're not going to have any any engagement and I'm not going to help you with anything. That's it. Bye. Um, but a lot of people don't do that and they should do that. It's, mm. it's, it's easy. If it's, you don't have to deal with them. Like They may say this or that about you, but you're not the one that has to deal with them. The other person has to be the one that deals with them. And in my mind, that's the... I'd much yeah. rather not have to deal with mm -hmm. certain types of characters. Yeah, that's the same with me with like removing myself from the situation. There are so many people who will, um, like if they disagree with someone, they will like quote tweet them on Twitter and say, I disagree for these reasons. And it's like, don't put your beef out in public because um, then it'll make it worse. There's a, there's a phrase I recently heard like within the last week and I've heard it like about three times since. I don't know whether it's like a Facebook meme going around or a TikTok video going around or anything like that. But it's like how um, a bee will never be able to convince a fly that pollen is the best thing in the world, right? So people are already set in their own views. So wherever it's political or racial or whatever they think, it's impossible to talk sense into them because they will always think what they think. And that, that really sort of opened my eyes. It's like, yeah, what is the point in arguing? Because it's a waste of energy uh, trying to convince someone that their political view is incorrect because they're always going to think that. And they're always going to think that they might be able to convince you that your political view is incorrect. And it's yeah. like that pe people are set in their own in their own mindsets. And that's the, it's the same with comedy. People will try and convince me that certain comedians are funny and they're just not for me. And you know what I do? I don't buy their DVDs. Um, like, because it's not, it's not for me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to like view every second of a stand-up clip they've done and say, this is why this is wrong and do like three hour long videos about, oh, well, this is, this is why these views are wrong. It's not, I'll, I'll let them get on with their career and I'll just not watch it. Is that okay? Isn't it, isn't it one of those things that the more you try and convince someone of something of like this, the more they go the other way. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, so it's, it's there's not really you 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 lose either way. So there's not really much point in saying this or that. Just it's better you just show things with the action. This it's an, and it also makes people disbelieve you. Mm -hmm. Like if someone accuses you something, you keep defending yourself. Then you're just going to make someone think you. Yeah. You're more like that. One thing I found quite, um, yeah. But one thing that I want to add to what you said earlier about removing yourself from this person, that person. Mm. One thing I've also found that is a bit dodgy in comedy is you get people that try and pretend that they're the night shaman or they're perfect, they're nice, and they're this and that. And then behind closed doors, you realise they're oh, sort of mm. person, or oh, they're yeah. they're. It happens so many times, and in some cases, I think people being quite na naive. Like if someone tries too hard to prevent they're this or that, surely some part of them is the other way. Mm -hmm. no, what I do you think? No, I absolutely agree. There's um, uh, there, there, there's been some in in the last uh, year or so during the pandemic because like people have been you know bored and like they've googled so or they're, they're sitting on information they already know, but comedians have been outed as like revealing themselves to women in, in green rooms um beating their ex-partners and stuff like that and like really violent tendencies yeah. and people people are shit of it people are sick of it now people are absolutely sick of it and what what's really funny it would have been um it was july in 2020 that a lot of women started like calling these people out and like a lot of us were like oh good that finally something's being done about this but all that happened was like these comedians just didn't tweet during august they just didn't do any public things and by september rolled around everyone forgot what they did and it was like oh have we forgotten all of that stuff now because and, that, and that's just it it's like people need to act like i'm not saying take action i'm just saying people need to have actions for their consequences um in in the past i've done some incredibly dodgy things um uh, no, not no, nothing as violent as, as that. I'm not, um, but no, in in the past, I was um, uh, absolutely addicted to um, uh, white cider, that, and I I drink gallons of it a day. And it was at a part of my life where I was homeless. Um, I was depressed. Uh, this was before I was diagnosed with that. And what I do to live each day is um, I'd like. I'd actually scam people. I'd, I'd say that I'd need like, oh, I need 20 pounds to pay the electric bill and then just pay all that 20 pound on cider. And then when that got worse, what I'd do is um, I would actually steal from friends. And it was, it was the lowest I've ever been, uh, but I was extremely sneaky about it. I was extremely like deceitful. Um, and then I, it, it all caught up and everyone realized what I'd been doing. Uh, so I left. Um, I left. The, I removed myself from that city and I tried to hide from my responsibility. And I ended up homeless in London for two months. And then eventually I, I called for help and and got it in the form of uh, my, my family who uh, who took me in. And then during therapy and um, a place called Adaction, which talks about um, uh, addiction and how, how to deal with it. Uh, I then was um, moved on to actual therapists and doctors. And um, through trial and error over three years, ended up on the right medication. Uh, but during that time, I wanted to be like a, a better person. I wanted to be the best person I could be. And uh, I owned up to all the mistakes. I contacted uh, the people who I had uh, scammed. It was about seven or eight of them. And I always offered to like pay back what I'd stolen. A lot of them said yes. A lot of them said no. They, they didn't want anything to do with me. And that's fine. And people still 
uh, absolutely despise me from my actions of 2014. And they have a right to. Uh, I, I don't think I'd be able to forgive someone who, who'd stolen from me. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm the person that I forgive my, myself the least. Um, so I completely understand this. But then when, when things like this happen and I uh, speak out, I'm talking about like racism in comedy or prejudice in comedy, and I speak out about like a particular person, one of their friends will say, oh, you can't say anything because back in 2014, you did all this shit. And I'm like, okay, right. So, so, so my opinions are now valid when I speak out about sexists and uh, rapists and sex offenders and, and racists. And, and it, it's such a weird place to be in because I, I carry that burden with me for all my life. I, I'm always thinking about that. Yeah. And it's it's so so weird. Like a lot of people have forgiven me. That's great. A lot of people haven't. That's fine. They're allowed to do that. There's people that I try to avoid. Uh, there's people who are still like talking about all this shit that I did like eight years ago to this day, as if I'm still doing it. And I'm not. I'm a much better person uh, for it. I've built built a career now. I've um, and I'm I'm truly sorry for that. And it's really weird having that as ammunition against me. If you have my past discretions as ammunition, what are, what are you doing? Like, will you ever see me as a human or uh, am I allowed to have an opinion on anything? So, sorry to bear this burden on you, Marvin. <laughs> just uh, just uh, a lot of uh, things that we've talked about just reminded me uh, all of that. And Well, to be honest, I've made a few mistakes in, in comedy as well with people. I've, I've definitely rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, mm. but there's a, it's... It's no, it's a, it's an interesting thing because I've got a few ideas on it as well, and with people who don't forgive you for your past and keep going on about it, do you know what they can do? They can kiss my ass. <laughs> what specifically? People who uh, go on about mine can kiss your ass. Well, anyone that's, that's, if, if they're not going to get on with things and move that's... on. But it's it's a dodgy thing because I've like I have made mistakes and I have done a lot of things that are not quite right, but I've not done anything pervert in the bush or anything like that. No, but. Um, don't need to but it's 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 i think probably the cure for a lot of bushmen in comedy is probably give them dating advice putting them a dating course make it uh, make it mandatory because surely you could go and chat up women in the audience or something why do you have to bother comedians well i mean don't chat up women in the audience that's <laughs> they're not they're not there for that they're there to no no I'm, I'm saying i'm saying but afterwards surely you can you can get you can never mind that's surely surely there's other avenues no, I say. I mean, I'm. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm not going to say. Oh, please forgive my past regressions because it's not like I wank in a bush. Because uh, you know, I might as well say at least I didn't murder eight people. It's, uh, it's like where's the line? Where's the line to draw? I was just but, no, I, I do get where you're coming from. Um, like these people do need help. I'm a big believer in. Um, oh, what's the word? Um, ah, when when you like bounce back from something uh, through hard work and. Ah, the word it's like some sort of therapy um but, rehabilitation rehabilitation i'm a big strong believer in that uh in rehabilitation uh that people can change um they might not know what they're doing is wrong but it's the people who have done it time and time again um and it's like can can we put you in a bin or something or do they do they have like those buildings where like people who do illegal things and wrong things can just stay and stay away from the public what are those called maybe but prisons um, it, no it's because it. i found it's, it's a difficult situation what you said there because people have massive egos and that's a big and in, yes. in comedy 
there was a few situations where what's it called maybe i was a bit harsh on a few people mm -hmm. and i thought i'd get rid of them because i was <laughs> and i tried to repair the friendship but all all that ended up was there were people that wanted the now this is going to sound wrong as well but they just wanted to copy my tendencies and be this and that mm -hmm. and i tried to repair it but all they did was try and use the information against me so there was yeah. no point that's what happens or they they don't forget what you do and they try and overturn fill their ego by putting you down when yes. you try and repair the situation or show a bit of humanity that's the I've... problem with these types of situations people will try and they don't and also it's it's easy for people to say that they've changed that they've done this and that mm -hmm. and it's it's like it's very easy you know if you were stupid and leave you believe that everyone in comedy is nice because that's what a lot of people do they act nice and yes. whatever to try and get ahead but it's very easy for people to act certain ways and there's so much virtual signaling going on in comedy to try and get ahead it's very people it's very hard for them to prove it with their actions mm. now that's that's yeah when you try and be a good person get over different things people may just turn it against you and it's it's I don't know. It's it's a difficult situation. In the mm. end, it's you just gotta be not give a fuck and get on with things, and you know try and be polite, but you gotta also be a bit sensible here. Don't be mm. do things from a position of weakness. Do it from a bit of power. No. You gotta do it from. You gotta say to people, I know I've done bad things to you. I would like to get some retribution, but if there's not, you're gonna try any funny business. Mm. Eat shit, you fuck. <laughs> but, um, but nice. I think that's what you got to say. Like I, I've matured and I've changed. But if you're gonna try anything funny, then fuck off. It's. Yeah. But I. I don't know. It's. 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 Yeah. I had a funny situation at my gig recently. I had someone uh -huh. to be very. I was being polite, but there were signs that he was gonna try something. Right. He gives me a call out of nowhere, and he asked to say the same details, and he pretended he could hear me and this and that. So I thought I was a bit odd. And his behaviour's been a bit, in some ways, but I thought I'd let it go. But then when it goes to the gig, he starts trying to make fun of me. What are you doing with the mask? You look like this or that. You look like that. You know, let it go. Be easy going. But then they'll try and boss you around, try and question you hmm. like, as if they knew this. And then they, then when you do the gig and then you're trying to get your set together, get your head together, they start bothering you again. What are you doing with this? What are you doing with that? Excuse me, I'm I'm doing that. And then at the end of the gig, they try and brainwash you and say, oh, but you should be doing it like this way or that way with gigs. Uh -huh. Give people a lot, lot of money, give whatever, or you're trying to be like Martin Bessman. It was, yeah. the thing that I... I didn't like about it was the condescending nature. First of all, do you run the best comedy clubs in the, in the country? Uh -huh. Do you, like, I never asked you for advice and why are you acting like, yeah, and don't try and get me. I don't need to pretend that I'm a good person by. I'm not going to put myself in a de, in a lower position just just to, just so that you to appear like the good person. Mm -hmm. First of all, with a lot of things, take care of yourself first, then you can be good. Yeah. Because if you do it the other way, you're being stupid. Mm -hmm. No, I totally agree. Um, I I remember. I think I think I had a gig in 2018 where I was the opening act and uh, this this fellow was the the headliner and uh, wh when the open spots were on in the middle he basically came up to me and went you shouldn't be opening I'm like 
Thanks. Thanks for thanks for the unsolicited advice. And it was like, what? Wh why even say that? Why? Why go about and say and like wake up that morning and think I'm I'm going to make someone feel really shit about themselves? It's really weird. I think it's because they can't handle their own shit, and they, so they look for someone who they think mm -hmm. they can take the shit out. I feel like sometimes in comedy green rooms, you've got to get your brain sharp for comebacks yeah. just just oh that's that's what i've been working on during lockdown and it's been so difficult because i've been doing i did these regular friday shows um but it was basically me to a camera and like every everyone was like commenting along but it wasn't like vocal feedback and not only that there was like a time delay of 15 seconds or something so the people responding to a joke and, it, and i've got the memory like a sieve if i'm improving jokes and then someone will like comment on it i'll think oh is that a comment on what i'm saying now that doesn't make any sense and it was so but with the gigs that i've been doing uh ever since lockdown finished for the purpose of the listeners i'm doing air quotes um i've been talking to the audience a lot more and because i've missed that so much and there's something brilliant about my favorite things my favorite jokes in comedy nights are jokes that can only happen there and then like you can never recreate it it's just the stars align and something just happens and it's usually from talking to an audience member then talking to another one and then somehow linking the two and then you realize that part of your set involves like something that they mentioned and then they think oh has he just written this song based on what it's like no it's because i've been writing songs in my head non-stop for 15 odd years it's just i just happen to have one that fits this scenario um and that's really fun and i i miss i miss live stand-up and I'm so glad it's back, but I've, I've only done about 13 gigs this year, whereas usually like by this point, I'm on like gig 250 in the year. And it's such, it's such a relief that it might be a blessing. It might be just a one in a million chance, but the 12 gigs I've done since uh, lockdown's finished, the comedians that I've been on with have been nice, right? They've been like talkative they've been chatty they're um telling me about like what they're doing and asking me about what i'm doing in, in our like in our comedy career in our professional lives and i've, I've never had that in such concentration before i i've i've like they'll be the odd like comic on like a full on a night out who will ask oh yeah and so what are you doing oh how's this project getting along um but everyone is so appreciative that we're back gigging again and I dread the day when we've gigged enough like after the pandemic where the ego gets back in again because ego is a strong problem in comedy there was a massive problem in 2013 where a lot of people lads usually cis white male lads straight lads would be down at the pub telling like oh a banter story about oh yeah and then uh saw a hooker that sort of thing and their mates have laughed at the pub and said you know what you should be a comedian and then they've tried to tell that exact same story on stage to no applause no laughter because they realize they're not in the safety of their friends a lot of the time in 2013 there was there was a good there was a good 20 comedians i saw in a week uh during the edinburgh fringe where it was nothing but Oi, oi, lads, have a oi. And it was just like them telling their banter stories uh, for the first time ever in public. And I was like, who? And I, 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 can, I can narrow it down to like 
like the laddie comedians of, of those days, like, you know, like Russell Howard and um, like people like that who, th who saw this, you know, thin, straight white man, blonde, telling stories. And he was, you know, a bit of a lad. Back in the day, he was. He's, uh, I think he's matured a lot since. But they saw a lot of that stuff. Lee Nelson, even though he was a character. Um, but they saw a lot of that stuff on the TV and thought, I can do that. And that's why I really want more live comedy on television. I don't just want live at the Apollo where they handpick those three comedians and it's like six episodes a year, not mock the week because that's not stand up. Like there's about two minutes of stand up per episode. I want proper, I want proper like channel four in the late eighties, early nineties stand up where it'd be an hour of comedians like you'd never heard of. Obviously I didn't watch back in the day. I would have been like five, but um, uh, I, I know of these shows and I want more raw talent. Like on the set, I want people to give people a chance, not in Britain's got talent sort of format. I want literal shows on the telly. It can be on BBC. It could even be on Dave if you want, but I want like an hour of standard comedians doing five minute, seven minute routines and then their Twitter handle at the bottom. And then they can use that clip for their comedy CVs. And it can't be, it couldn't be that much to make. I can't, I can imagine a lot of comedians will be like, oh yeah, I'll do this, you know, for free. Obviously they'll need to be road tested and make sure they're good enough for like this five minute appearance. Like you don't want, you know, someone dressed as an animal just telling rape jokes. But I just want more opportunities for comedians. That's that's all I want. And I know like a lot of comedy is online. Uh, Bo Burnham won an Emmy for um, recording that show all by himself. Obviously, you know, he's, he's got the years of fame behind him helping him. But it was a very great show. He's very talented. It was one of the best, I'm going to say, one of the best films I've seen this year. But it, it, a lot of people are online. But so many people are still tuning like flipping through the channels and like seeing what's on and it will be a 15 episode 15 year old episode of qi and they'll like sit down and watch that why not showcase like new talent on that time it would be dirt cheap to make and uh, people can use the high d video as a clip for their comedy cv their show reel that's all that's all i really want at the moment i just want tv to look at stand-up comedy and say you know what we can put more of this on but so one of the things I want to say with that is that with social media, people can sort of take matter in their own hands. Mm. And I think you've been one of the ones that have done it. Correct. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm holding my hands up and saying yes. <laughs> um, uh, the, the TikTok thing was extremely weird. Um, I, I have, I have, I have a 13 year old cousin who for about two years has been wanting to make it big on TikTok. So she uh, lip syncs to songs, she copies dances. And then we had a recent uh, family barbecue because the pandemic was over. And um, I went, hey, uh, you know, you know, that TikTok you're obsessed with two years ago and I couldn't stand. Well, I joined it. Now I've got 80,000 followers and she didn't talk to me for an hour. So because huh? <laughs> she wanted all that. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was hilarious. But um, but no, it's 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 interesting TikTok because uh, I was. I was convinced by, I'm going to name, uh, William Collishaw, a comedian in Lincoln, was convincing me over and over again to join TikTok, saying, you'll do brilliant at it. So I, I, I installed the app, and then it was too loud and bright, and I removed it from my phone because I'm an 84-year-old man. And then it was a friend of mine who um, edited an old clip uh, that I did at uh, Underbelly in uh, 2017, and he edited it into three TikTokable videos and went, put them up, see how they do. And so I did, and then people liked it. I've never like recorded something for TikTok unless it's like a 10 second joke. But all the clips I put on are either from different online shows or stand up that I've done in audience that have been filmed. I never specifically went, all right, 
I'm going to do a TikTok now. Um, sometimes I get like videos from uh, when I was mentioned YouTube before, like in the in the before time, before I was a comedian, where I just sang into a camera and put it on YouTube. I put those clips on, and then suddenly, like these videos from 2015 and 2009, they're like, "Oh yeah, this is great!" And then they see me in real life and are very annoyed that I've aged 12 years. It's uh, it's very disappointing <laughs> to them. This uh, this thin, hopeful twenty-two-year-old. Uh, tw- it's like, hey, look at that guy, and then it's like, no, I'm a fat, sweaty licker of dogs. No, I don't lick the dogs. The other way around. Please don't put that as the title of your book. I will. <laughs> no, just... licking dogs and music. No. <laughs> that well, so... that said, one of the um, one of the early TikToks I did um, went stupidly popular with. Um, I don't know the proper phrase, so I'm going to say the gay dog community. Um, (laughs) I think they call themselves pups. It's basically a, it's like a mix of furries and uh, gay men, and they dress up as pups and leather and dog masks. Some of them are really good dog masks, others are not. But I did a joke, and it's been part of my stand-up since I started, and it's what I end my show on. The joke is, I have to go now. Uh, beforehand I was on my phone and I think I've got the grinder app mixed up with the Pizza Hut app. Either way, there's a 10 inch vegetarian about to arrive and I'm not sure what to expect. That's the joke. Ha ha ha. So I did that on TikTok. I just did a clip of me doing it. And then the gay dog community used the sound to lip sync over. And I thought, okay, that's an interesting thing. It's a grinder joke. Obviously, gay men are on grinder. Obviously, this pop community is on grinder. But some of the masks were terrible. Like, they it was like it was sort of like a gimp suit mask with dog ears attached to it. And when my joke was playing as the sound, the cadence, all he did was like wobble his head to pretend that he was talking. I thought that's dreadful um but then there was this one guy with a blue sort of big dog and it had like you know it it had moving parts it was like a puppet it had a detachable uh mandible uh like a lower jaw that was talking and he was able to sink it in time and it was like this blue gay dog was telling the joke itself and i thought that's brilliant all the time and effort but why why are gay dog puppets lip-syncing my joke and that's that's when I I I decided to leave TikTok, and then uh, I never went back. No, oh. that didn't ha- that didn't happen. Uh, no, I, that that was like my second ever video I uploaded. Um, but no, it, it it got me wondering, saying TikTok is so niche, right? It has so many niche areas. There's TikTok for history lovers. There's TikTok for musical theatre lovers, animation lovers, people who just love jokes. For some reason, clips of the old Lee Mac vehicle, the sketch show. I can't move for watching old clips of the old Lee Mac vehicle, the sketch show. That's on the front page all the time. But there's so many subsidiaries and you can be as niche as you bloody want, right? I have a co-worker who's saying, oh, should I go on TikTok? It's like, oh, what's your passion? It's like, oh, well, I like ancient Egypt. I went, yeah, sure. Do a video about your favorite fact about ancient Egypt. Tag it ancient Egypt, hashtag pyramids, hashtag Tutankhamun, hashtag slavery. And the, the right people who enjoy those type of videos will see those videos and interact and engage. There's so many niche subsidiaries of TikTok. It is amazing, right? So the, the most recent one that's going viral is um, uh, a clip that I, I uploaded two months ago, but I recorded in 2015. And that's me singing the Muppet Show. No, I, that's me singing the um, Empty Chairs 
at empty, empty tables from Les Miserables to the tune of the Muppet Show theme tune, right? It's been a staple of my set for a while. A grief that can't be spoken, a pain goes on and on. Empty chairs at empty tables when my friends are dead and gone. And that's it. That's what the clip is. But that's just gone like stupid over the last 24 hours. And this is something I uploaded three months ago. So you have no idea, right, when a clip is either going to go viral or, or going to succeed. Because uh, my, um, my, my basis of TikTok is TikTok, the place to upload videos that either get 5 million views or 300 views. Because you're not guaranteed success every time. It's a complete fluke. It is a complete fluke. That's why I hate, like, there's, there's this, these comedians who will say, like, charge courses for £25 an hour and say, how to make it big on TikTok? And they've got, like, 10,000 followers. It's like, what? What are you doing? That's a grift. Don't do grifts. Not, not in this what, what economy. Does mean? Oh, a scam, basically. Yeah, I, I thought so, too. I, yeah. I went and watched uh, a few of them, and it was, it was, they, they gave nothing that I've not seen from other TikTok mm -hmm. experts that haven't said before. There was nothing unique or insightful. Yeah. It was just, yeah, effectively, with a lot of, if you want to learn social media market, talk to an expert or something, or someone that's, yeah, I mean, social media is such a big thing. Now, every kid will say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a social media influencer, YouTuber. You yeah. wouldn't hear that maybe 10, 20 years ago. That's because YouTube didn't exist. That, that, that... <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it, well, it comedy... No, but, but. 20 years ago, they would have said, I want to be on Big Brother. I want to be on Pop Idol. That's what they would have said 20 years ago. 40 years ago, they probably would have said, I want to be, uh, I want to make computer games. So it's, it's just because like the, me the, so the media has changed, but like kids always want to be what their favorite thing is at the time. Like, so that's not changed. Mm. It's, I mean, at, at the heart, yeah it's it's incredible with um social media and all that it's it's it but that's the thing i know you're saying about tv and all that but you have a platform i mean if you look at yeah. isaac hp and you look at nigel and they don't have to suck any cock or kiss any vagina to get ahead anymore i mean like I, other people do i'll happily do that as well just uh just you know as a, for free because it's, it's no. <laughs> fun to do <laughs> No, but it, I mean, like, it's, it's, you don't have to be, well, and what I mean by that, sorry for the graphic imaging viewers, <laughs> I meant like, I meant like, you don't have to, you're, yeah, yeah, you don't, you don't have, have to, to be coerced. A suck up or to Same, bow to yeah. other people's rules with a large social media platform. And that's what the great thing is as a performer. Mm -hmm. uh, but TikTok is, it's, it's one of the easiest platforms to get a big following on, as long as you're making content that people want to see. That's literally it. Like, I've been, I've been on Twitter since it started. Uh, I think um, back in 2010, 2011. And I'm, I'm not even on 5,000 followers on that. And that is, and I do jokes and I do content for that constantly. So some some get quite like seen by people and retweeted by like quite big, like famous comedians, but it's not affecting my followership. With TikTok, following is so easy to do. And you don't even have any commitments. Like, like I, I, like I say, I've got eighty thousand followers at the moment, but I can upload something that will only have three hundred views after a week. That's not being shown to anyone. People aren't specifically going to my page. It's just a number, right? So the people like actually bragging about their, uh, oh, I've got this many million followers. It's like, yes, but how many people are you engaging with? Um, Obviously, they're getting like brand deals and stuff like that. Fantastic. You can say that it's like because of the amount of followers you have, you've got these brand deals. But the followers mean nothing like you don't. It's not like you have a million friends. It's not like you um, you have a million people like 
paying attention and will come to your every single show or event or anything that you're doing. It is just, yeah, there's, you've made content that has inspired a million people to click that plus sign. And that's fantastic, but it's nothing to brag about because it's not, it's the easiest thing to get big numbers on. A million is probably too much. I think a million is fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm saying to the people who have a hundred thousand followers, let's say that, because I'm only 20 away from that. So <laughs> it, well, it, it's, it's, I mean, also with TikTok, it's not going to last forever. You've got no. to maybe, you've got no, no, to, no. it's, I think TikTok will die out in a year or or two years from now. I'm happy with and that. You've got to translate that following into other platforms. Yeah. Um, Vine was huge. I loved Vine. I follow a lot of content creators on Vine. Some of them uh, carried on either on TikTok or on YouTube, but a lot of them didn't because like six second videos were all you need, but then a six second video on YouTube is too short. It's never going to be in anyone's recommendations. And it was like, that was their, you know, wheelhouse of comedy. That was their, you know, that, uh, that's what they thrived at doing these six second videos. And then like, they've gone now. Like I'll occasionally see one cameo in another YouTuber's like skit or sketch or something like that. And yeah, no, it is, it is all fleeting. It's like, as a, as a comedian, right, we thought that, you know, gigs, oh, they'll never stop. And then we had 18 months without basically any sort of gigs. Anything can happen. Something that you hold dearly can just disappear. And that is, yeah, that is absolutely true. I completely agree with that. It's, yeah, and you got, and you also, and also, you know, some, I'm not going to, I don't want to say it, but if you had that sort of number, you should be smart about it. Like if you've only been gigging for one or two years and you haven't found your voice and you're not like re super talented, really belly laughs, getting people laughing nonstop. Mm -hmm. Like I think I hear with, um, what's his face? Trevor Noah and some of these greats, like um, he's a big Scottish comedian, Kevin Bridges, who really oh, yeah. killed from the start. Then f don't be putting them in an hour show and like, doing tour shows you're not you know you're you're not ready for it yet you know put some someone like jeff innocent or someone like ian stone yeah. to open and close and you be in the middle you mm -hmm. look good they look good yeah. you put on a good show they'll still stick with you if you That's... put in our show just of you i don't know what to say there there's that famous case in um uh, i say famous but i'm gonna skim on many of the details i think it was a 70s or 80s talent show called new faces and there was this guy who did this like really, you think um, <coughs> face, like very sort of like to music, like various things, ended up doing like a Superman pose on a chair to the Superman theme tune with a tea towel as a cape, that sort of thing. And it blew the judges' mind. It was like great practical comedy. It was amazing. So they put him through to the final and in the final, he did the exact same set. And everyone was like, we've seen this. If you've just got three minutes, right? Do that three minutes once on TV, get your name for yourself, then work on your material. Sure, that's a good way of doing it. But if that was happening now in the live comedy scene, if you've just got those three minutes, try and do that three minutes all over the country, right? Get people talking about you. And then like whilst working on new material and stuff. But that, that is the case. I know someone who's still doing the same 10 minutes, like 10 years later. And he's got no aspirations to be on the telly, anything like that. He just wants to do, it's, it's a solid 10 minutes. He's happily doing that routine and he's supported a bunch of comedians on tour because it's like, yeah, we know this 10 minutes is going to go down fantastically. And sometimes that's it. Like, do and, and that and that's all that people are capable of, but that's absolutely fine. It's a hilarious 10 minutes. But it's boring. I, I find it boring. <laughs> I, 
I, I, I, I, I, for me, if I if I keep doing it all the time like that, I just I just. But he has he has no aspirations of it. He enjoys that there's a different audience each time, reacting the exact same way each time. He loves it. But um, I started writing uh, material for other more famous comedians, right? And people have said, "How can you live with that? Surely you want to do those jokes yourself." And I say it's less stressful because I'm more I'm happy behind a piano. But if I was to tell a one liner, it wouldn't do the same justice as these other comedians telling those same jokes. And when a comedian does tell a joke of mine and the audience laughs loads, I get off on that. Like it's it's oh. a really big feeling. It's like I, I basically made that reaction happen. And it's a wonderful feeling. But in the same way that I like there are there are so many one-liner and storytelling comedians who will pitch me songs and it's once in a blue moon I will say actually that's a good idea other times I'm like why don't you do that yourself and that's my way of saying that was dog shit never pitch me anything again <laughs> um, but yeah like there's a I think, I think there's been two three examples in the last five years where comedians have said oh have you tried this to this song and either it's already been done or uh, it's terrible or it's actually quite good but there's only three times where I've said actually yes I will have that thank you name your price and it's nice because they are not musical comedians like that the joke that they're pitching me would not work in their set and that's the great thing about um about comedy, it's sort of like a barter system. Where all all mediums of the arts are. I remember in 2012, my first photo shoot was by this guy who just started uh, his own professional photography company, and he was like, "I'll take photos of you if I can use them for more my portfolio, and you can use them for your promotional shots." And so no money was exchanged. It was like, sure. And it's bartering essentially, like from the olden days. And I know, I know no other. Um, apart from the arts, I know no other system that does that. It's always money or like actually trading something of value, and that's magical. I think like the comedy, comedy in the arts industry is the last sort of place where bartering still exists. I love that. Well, one of the things that I want to, um, and also where malicious um, exchanges uh, come in and threats and 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 skullduggery. <laughs> no. Uh, but... <laughs> What, one thing that I'm interested to ask you about is what what have been the good things and the bad things about being a musical comedian? Because there is one thing that I want to ask. There's a comedian I know. Do you know him? Do you know Javier Costales? I don't, I'm afraid. Oh, he's, he's a very surreal comedian. And he says something. When you write a joke, treat it like you're going to a shop and ordering something. Like You know what to say, but it's not fully scripted. And he says with comedy, he makes it appear like it's unscripted. A lot of people, when they see his act, even comedians, they always say, oh, he just goes and does nothing. But I've seen him do the same bits, and I know that he is quite well prepared. And he says it's all about the beating of music. And it's got me thinking, in comedy, you do have to hit certain beats to do well. And timing is very important. And I feel, as a musician, does it... make it easier to hit those sweet spots good point um very good point there's um there's a there's a thing that i do that i'm sort of known for in comedy where after i finish a song the audience start applauding i say no don't that's so pavlovian just because a song's finished and you clap right i'm a comedian i'm meant to just like earn my applause breaks if you find it funny laugh Right. And 
I've known that and I, tr- and I try and like it's, it comes across as me being stern it's like how dare you applaud at my work but I want to make them relax I don't want it to be like because as I said before and I'll clarify it because I don't think I said a number I believe 95% of musical comedy is terrible right because it's it's a it's a six second a lot of the time it's a six second joke stretched out to a three minute song with repeated choruses and tiny people with ukuleles and at the end of each song they go thank you and get an applause break and the rest of the comedians on the lineup go what we can't say thank you after a one-liner we can't do a story and say thank you and then expect expect applause um the thing is it, it changes as well um the timing of my comedy changes if I'm performing to a rugby club, I will still do my songs, but I'll add a lot more swear words, right? And um, sometimes if the audience start clapping along to the beat, I will stop and say, that doesn't help me at all. And I'll purposefully change like the tempo of some of it. I'll still do the song just so they can't applaud anymore. And it's like, oh, clap along anymore, I mean. And doing that in the moment is really fun because uh, I, I like doing something that's different. Like I perform it in a different way. I might like do something in a different octave or higher just to keep it interesting for me, especially at the Edinburgh Fringe. If I'm doing, there's a, there's a song I do about uh, the Chav Boutique, Claire's Accessories to the tune of Bare Necessities. And I did that like basically every day for three weeks. So, but each time I made it that little bit different just to make it interesting for me, because that is one of the, the very few songs I can play on autopilot. And so it's it's not the trickiest song to play, but it's one of my trickiest songs because I only do chords. I don't do twiddly bits with the piano. I'm no Tim Minchin, I'm no Bill Bailey. I don't pretend to be. I just know the chords of the song and I play it. But with, um, yeah, so I have to sort of like experiment with timing at times if I'm getting bored of the material. Because uh, I think that's what you were touching upon earlier about my friend who has the same 10 minutes, that wouldn't you get bored by that? But he doesn't because he just loves people laughing at his shtick and then he goes off and does his day job. He doesn't want to be a full-time comedian. Uh, same with me, if I'm in the audience and a comedian's telling a joke that I've written for them and it lands perfectly. I love that. That's that's my sort of thing. Um, but you, you can worry about getting bored um, with comedy if you're doing the same show again and again and again. Um, that's why I've, uh, I've, I've added a lot more crowd work. As um, in my um, uh, Heaven Knows I'm Frizz Frizzle Now show uh, that I'm uh, touring for a couple more months uh, before I change, uh, do a new show. Um, the first 10 minutes are me telling this story but going to the audience for examples of things that I talk about. And a lot of it, I, I'm trying to like improvise jokes based on what they've said. And I try and put that in the show later as well. And I never did that before. I used to be, um, I think it was described as essentially a broken jukebox. My shows used to be an hour of, here is a list of songs. There was no patter in between. It was like, right, and now for this song, nothing like that. It was just literally, here's an hour of parody songs. If you like them, cool, give some money to me at the end. But now, like since, uh, I think since 2017, I started making, you know, more, more of a tangent, more of a story in it whilst I was telling it in the, in the background of, of saying the songs. And that's really fun as well, because if you're talking to the audience, asking for examples of what they've been through similarly, you sometimes get the most outlandish answers. And then you want, you want more time on that. And then your brain's thinking, shit, this is an hour long show. Um, my 10 minutes has now become 15 minutes. What do I get rid of later? And so for the Heaven Knows and Frizz Rizzle Now show during the Edinburgh run in 2019, I had three different endings depending on how long the opening took. 
And it was three different stories that I ended up, because I knew the length of them. There was one that was five minutes, one that was 10, one that was 15. And like, so from the 45 minute, my, or like whatever time I finished the usual stuff, I was like, five minutes, I'll do this one, right? And that's how it was. And to keep that, to keep the fact that there were different, like each show had a different opening essentially, and most likely a different ending if, if you saw it like three times. And that was that was really nice to play with um, the, the the timing of that as well. And so yeah, but with with the actual song performances, I don't know. There, there's some that I know absolutely work. There are some that I know are so niche can only work with a specific audience. So I'm constantly changing uh, the set list every time. It all depends on the audience, really. Sorry, that was very rambly for what was so, essentially a simple question. So there's a process go. You go to a lot of new material nights, develop the stuff, <clears throat> and then after that. Once you've got certain bits that work, you then yeah. get it across the country to see to see what what the bank is and what because there's but, no other way to know, is there? But when it comes to new material nights, I do not perform songs. It's new like routines um, that I'm trying to develop, um, and like so, I'll never bring a piano to a new material night. It'd be like right, I've got this uh, observation I want to sort of discuss and see where it goes, and a lot of it is like. People say stream of consciousness. I just say talking, um, <laughs> and it is. And just just sees where it goes. Like the the most recent routine I'm working on, which is going to be the opening uh, to my show next year. It's uh, about a recent comment um, that people keep posting on my TikToks mainly, but I get it from drunk people in the pub as well. And it's uh, basically it's a two word comment that I get, uh, and I, I've had it like uh, for the last few years or so. And the two word comment is. Um, Alan Carr. And yeah, that's it. Like, so I'm, I'm going on a rant where I say, I don't look like Alan Carr. I don't have anything against if I did look like him, but literally I just have glasses. That's it. And I'm going on like a big sort of um, tangent about how if someone booked an Alan Carr lookalike and I arrived, they'd be very disappointed. Um, but yeah, so it's a whole like, whole tangent I'm working on. And there's a whole stuff that um, happened during lockdown uh, when I was trying to help my neighbours, which is either funny or really sad. I don't know yet because I haven't told it to an audience. So it's, mm. who knows what will happen? But that's the thing. Like, I live in a very remote village, so there's not a lot of like new material nights I can jump on. If I'm doing uh, London and I'm doing like two dates in London, which are a few days apart, I'll contact like comedy clubs in the area or even attics in pubs to see, oh, can I hop on? I'm in the area. And that, that, that's a good way of focusing. But I'm, I'm constantly writing, and that's all I ask new comedians to do, just, just write. And, and that can be anything. I can either be in an actual notepad on, on your phone or just in your head. Just constantly keep thinking, what's funny about this situation? And maybe it'll lead to some material. Have fun with it. Don't be like, this is going to lead to here or there, because that's yeah, yeah. the fun out of it. Yeah, but I'm, I'm constantly seeing what's funny in things even like down the pub or if I'm chatting with people, I'm saying, what's funny about this situation? And I like try and do a remark or a comparison or something. And it's like, Frizz, you, you're not, you, you're not performing tonight. Just be yourself. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but I'll, I'll remember that um, thought and then think about it later and see if that can be worked into anything or if it's far too niche. If it's a, if it only makes sense to the one pub in the middle of a village, it's like, I might, I might not do that material on the road. What what would you say is being the difficulty with being a musical comedian? Um, as we suggested earlier, um, being, be, yeah, being lumped in with the terrible ones. 
and there were too many terrible ones and they're all rich Americans and they've got these like super HD cameras to film music videos with and they go viral on YouTube and I can only watch like 15 seconds I thought well this is terrible and I already know but because they've got the money behind them they can afford the uh um ex expenses and stuff like that but there's, there's so few music communities that people don't talk about or don't like listen to and i'm like you need to listen to all their stuff please um uh, good kids see them live if you can um jazz emu check him out on youtube um there's just there's so oh, just so many i mean rachel bloom i mean i know she had a crazy ex-girlfriend but the stuff before that is just so, so good and needs to be watched as much as uh, Bo Burnham. Uh <laughs> now, following on from that, so like, um, who are acts that are very unique and that are completely unconventional in their comedy that you love and that you think people should know more about? Unconventional sounds like a bad thing, but I know it's not. It's just my, my, it, the word didn't hit my brain correctly. I do apologize. Uh, it's like, oh, they're, oh, they're unconventional. It's, it's very difficult to, but no, I, I understand think, what you mean. Have their own unique style and that unique stand out and don't follow the comedy conventions. Okay, okay. I will say, um, she's been on Mock the Week a couple of times, but um, uh, Athena Kukbulunu, um, she's got an amazing podcast um, and stand-ups like so like she, she's like a, a young mother and oh that's so good um lauren patterson is fantastic i have i dm'd her in 2016 about like a request because I, I knew her from when i lived in newcastle and i basically said right i'll see you on taskmaster one day and i'm just waiting for when she's on taskmaster just want to say ah, told you um jack ledo uh whole comedian very energetic very uh, what's the word? I mean, oh, like just a slapstick sort of comedy, but he's got he's, he does great things with his limbs and stuff. If you check out uh, Jack Gledo Macarena on TikTok and see that routine, that's that's him in a nutshell. He's wonderful. Um, oh, who else? Well, I mean, yeah, he's, he's going to be very famous in the next few months. Uh, Scott Bennett. I absolutely love. Um my is my mum's favorite comedian is Scott Bennett. Do uh do check him out. Oh, so Umby Winters, uh, amazing, amazing comedian. Uh, they actually opened for my first album recording in 2012, and yeah, they're 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 going to do absolutely wonderful stuff. And if you like dry sort of stuff, a PowerPoint sort of like like people pe people shit on PowerPoint comedians, but. You know, this is a good one. Uh, Mark Grimshaw, uh, if you check them out on TikTok as well, they've got a lot of this stuff. They've got a 30 minute stand up special called Hit Me With Your Autistic. And uh, check that out on YouTube. And so, yeah, that, I think I think five recommendations are enough. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Ken, Ken Chen does it as well. And he he's it was funny with Ken Chen. He, when I saw him do his um, PowerPoint thing, he did a bit about why did Donald Trump become president? He said, this is a very glaring answer. And he puts in a PowerPoint slide and it slowly goes, it was a bullet point, slowly appears and goes, Hillary Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> it was... Um, yeah, yeah, sorry, carry on. But yeah, it, it, it is... I would definitely look at that. It was, yeah. it was funny of Ken Cheng when he no, did No, I didn't, I didn't know Ken Cheng did PowerPoint comedy. Um, I, did, I did a PowerPoint comedy show, um, <laughs> Harry My Cat Died. It was a, it was a Twitter account I ran uh, from 2013 which was One Direction fans telling Harry Styles that their cat was dead. 
that was it. That was that was the Twitter account. I was just retweeting and quote tweeting that, and then that developed into a show about uh, crazy fandoms in history, and that was a PowerPoint presentation. But it was one of the easiest shows that I'd ever written. But it was so fun to perform. Um, but yeah, some if you like, I mean, Dave, Dave Gorman did like five series of uh, of uh, Modern Life is Goodish, and that's all PowerPoint presentations, and each one of those are hilarious. Uh, much much commendation to the guy. It's who what was it called now what what have you learned so you mentioned this before the podcast but what have you noticed about all your years in edinburgh so i'm going to say what i thought of my years in edinburgh okay there's a lot of um there's a lot of artsy students in edinburgh yes and and a lot of drama drama students and there's a lot of craziness and the flyering is a real pain in the neck mm-hmm. um comedians is quite funny a lot of the times a lot of comedians that you would speak to in the london circuit will walk right past you yes and it's it's of... blinkers it's it's imaginary blinkers if you need to get to a venue if you're doing a 10 minute set as part of a, a compilation show you are just face down to the venue um, I accidentally did that with uh, Charlie Brooker and Connie Huck. I was flyering and they were determined to get it. They had the kids with them. I was like, hey, there's a musical comedy show in a bit. And they're like, no, thanks. I'm like, and I re- it only resonated like 30 seconds later. I was like, that was Charlie Brooker and Connie Huck. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry, Charlie and Connie. It, but what have you found? Like, how has Edmund changed since you've done it? Okay. And how? what have you what would you say is some of the do's and don't do's right. and what is your advice for people for making the most out of the fringe okay so my i would say your first year at the fringe don't do a show get books in like a five minute ten minute spot somewhere but just do it for like four or five days right and just do the odd performance see a bunch of free shows right uh, there's no point in paying for a comedian who's going to be on tour near your hometown in the next couple of months. Absolutely no point. No point in that. See how it works. See the see how the vibe is. Stay out late on your first visit because you are just basically a, a tourist at this point, but you are doing the odd spot. And just see how other people do it. See how other people are at all stages in the day because Edinburgh is very hectic throughout the entire, until about 3 a.m. It is so hectic. Right. So just take it and then see if you think, yeah, next year I'll be able to do a show. Right. If you get to that conclusion, fantastic. You're ready to do a show. The second year, uh, do a show, but do a limited run of, say, five days or a week. Do it on the free fringe, on PBH free fringe. I'll get you a nice hot venue. <laughs> um, uh, but they're, they're absolutely wonderful to work with. Um, so sign up for that. Absolutely free. You get your venue for free. You get a bucket donation at the end. Do 45 to 50 minutes as a show, right? Advertise it as an hour. Audiences will never be disappointed Mm. if the show finishes early because they're most likely got a whole schedule of what they want to do. And if you've added 10 minutes extra walking time to their next venue, they're going to love you for it, right? And time moves so slowly anyway, or quickly, depending on uh, how fun the show is. Have a good bucket speech at the end and sort of say, and also have like some sort of social media presence. It could be one, it could be all of them. Um, and like ask people to follow you on it if they enjoy your stuff and tell people about your show, right? 
do not register for the Ed Fringe website in, in that year, right? Just do the five days because your show gets into what's called the Wee Blue Book. And there's more than 10,000 copies of that that people are reading and looking to see where to get to the next show. The third year, uh, you do a full run. You do three weeks. That's if you're capable. That's if you want to after, after, the, after the first uh, short run. Do three weeks. Um, don't do what I did which is treat it like a party. Because I had the mistake of basically doing my show at 4 p.m., finishing at 5 p.m., using the money that was in the bucket to get drunk until 5 a.m., then go to my flat and sleep until an hour before my show, and then I did my show. That was a vicious cycle. At one point, my flatmate saw me in the street and said, well, you look yellow, because I was jaundiced as fuck. Um, so I had a, a big old like 36 hour nap so don't do that don't do that so I'm going to skip to say my third fifth or sixth year 2017 which is where I started taking it seriously um you can do the fringe for less than a thousand pounds uh the way I do it is I get uni accommodation with uh five other rooms uh we get five of the comedians in those rooms we split the costs um, the one I go to is Queen's Margaret University in Musselburgh, but please don't go to that one because if you all do that, I will not get a room next year. Uh, and the trains and buses are very, uh, very convenient and there's night buses as well. Uh, do that. Do your own flyering design. Do not hire a designer. Um, you do that if you've become a successful comedian uh, because designers do deserve all your money. They do excellent work. Um, but no, don't... Um, don't hire a designer for you at the Edinburgh Fringe show. Don't do that. Design your own flyer. Ask other people if you think it's good enough, like, like see if they can make any changes. Uh, print them from uh, can printers in Edinburgh. They do a great deal. Hang them up yourself and flyer yourself. Because if this is your third year at the Edinburgh Fringe, nobody, nobody knows you yet. Nobody knows you. You still do the PBH Free Fringe because people take more of a gamble on a comedian they don't know if it's free entry. Uh, the, don't do the paid fringe because you had a successful free fringe. Doesn't work that way. Um, I know a guy who had a very successful free fringe uh, where it was free entry. The following year, think, oh yeah, I'll do a paid show. It'll be eight pound a ticket, and nobody came because nobody knew who he was. As we discussed earlier in the podcast, ego is a really bad thing in comedy and can actually hinder you. Um, and then just have like a good time. Try like don't make commitments to see all your friends' shows as well. Um, because like they, they will understand, they won't, they won't come see your show. Um, say, oh, it clashes all the time. That's great. Um, but you need to free up time. You need to free up time for yourself, right? So um, the way that I did it in 2019 was um, I just had uh, the one daily show, and my, it was at three. Was it three? What time was it? Three thirty. Three thirty till four thirty or four um, twenty-five <coughs> uh, to get people in and out. And then I'd have like a couple of drinks there. I might caught one show, but my curfew was 10 p.m. I had to be in bed by 10 p.m. every day. And that was something that I set in on myself. Uh, it meant that it was more money saved because I wasn't just spending it in the pub until five. I also allocated myself uh, six nights out out of the three weeks I was there uh, just to have fun and always have at least one day off every week. There are so many performers who only have one day off during the three weeks. That's going to kill you. Uh, pick a day like Sunday or Monday where not many people are going to come to the show anyway. And yeah, and that's how to do the show, the fringe for less than a grand, I'd say. And then, yeah, just uh, just keep building up your own platform. Uh, you be in charge of it all. Try and get the same username 
for all the platforms, right? If you're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat, and you've got five different usernames for all of them, no one's going to keep up, right? So try and find like a username that works for you. And yeah, that's that, that's all right. And then tell people to follow you on it and then share the fact that you're doing a show if they've enjoyed it. And yeah, that's uh, that, that's my fringe advice. No, that's a very, that's a very good bit of advice. It's, it's, and, and how do you handle all the garbage in Edinburgh? Like how do you handle um, what's it called? Because I, I had it quite a few times when the last fringe where someone said, oh, do you want some LSD? And I oh, take it. oh and... yeah, I, I, I say no to drugs. Um, I'm a very Grange Hill 1980s uh, perspective of drugs. No, um, I mean, unless you're young and, you know, can survive that. But no, I, I worry because of my, uh, my past um, problems with alcoholism until I, I blacked out and like often in places that I didn't even know existed. Uh, I would never sort of like do any drugs that are known for. I'd want to be in a safe place. Like if I was ever offered drugs, I'd be like, oh, as long as I'm in a safe room and I know where and the doors are locked and I know that I'm going to be here in the morning. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, w w when you get to um, 1 a.m., that's when all the all the fun drug fun. But all I do about that is just avoid standing outside the hive. Uh, and uh, yeah, you should be left alone. <laughs> But what what would you say are some of the difficulties mentally with the fringe? Because I hear a lot oh, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of people who post advice like saying drink lots of water, but you're gonna remember to drink water. Uh, eat a banana; it's got lots of potassium. Yeah, sure. Like don't 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 fall for that. I mean, definitely, definitely do eat and drink a lot of water. Um, have a selection of friends. Um, my venue was the Globe Bar in Nidgey Street. And on day one, we did all the tech and set it up and everything. And then we tried to have like a group chat, especially um, the comedians I was living with in the flat. We had a group chat as well. And the idea is, is sort of be open saying, right, this group chat is for like things about the flat, if like there's anything wrong. But also, if there's anything wrong, like with yourself, let us know. Like, because there's going to be, there was 12 of us at the venue. There's like six of us in the flat. Like at least one of us will be around. So sort of ask Oh, is anyone around? I'd love to talk. Uh, but I know a lot of a lot of people, not just community, a lot of people are quite secluded when it comes to talking about mental health and talking openly like that. And that's fine. But make them sort of like, not make don't force them. Just sort of like, let them know that you will listen to them if they're feeling down as well. I'm not a mollycoddle the whole situation, but definitely have like a core group of people. And especially if there's a lot of people there, hopefully one will be like you'll be able to rely on. Um, but it's also post like talking about it openly as well. Like if you're friends with a lot of comedians on Facebook, sort of like state, hello, just, you know, hope everyone's having a fun day. If you're not, I'm going to be here. And then they might join you and you'll have a talk and rule the world, R sort out the world. That's it. Not, not rule the world. Don't do that. Um, I had a I had a comedian friend who was very, very low. Um, I think I think it was 2017 and I was on my way to a gig and I saw I saw them basically crying in the street. And I had to approach them and went, what the hell's going on? And she wasn't making much sense. She was having a bit of a breakdown. And so I said, just wait there. And I walked into the Banshee Labyrinth, um, lovely venue, but there are about 15 shows going on there at once. And I went in because I knew I was going to see someone that I knew. And I found a comedian, right? And I went, are you free? And they went, yeah. And I was like, right, I'm doing a gig around the corner. And I gave them all the details and what they needed to do. Just tell them I sent you. 
And they went, oh yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'd love to gig now. So he picked up like flyers to fly the end of the show and he went to the gig. Um, so I could sort out my friend, basically. So I was on my way to a gig, saw my friend crying. So I got my friend to do the gig for me whilst I sorted this out. Hubbub spaces like Nidji Street, where there's like so many things going on. If you are feeling like you need someone to talk to and you're a comedian and you know a lot of comedians, there's gonna be someone around. Edinburgh is so, so small and so compact. So if you're looking for someone to sort of help out or just have a chat with, or maybe you're thinking, right, I, I need a pint, but I'd love to see someone and have, have a pint with them. Just go into any venue on Nidri Street, there will be uh, someone that you know there. Uh, as long as you know that. So basically um, have core sort of groups of friends. They don't have to be best friends or anything, but if if it's people like who are sharing your venue and are sharing your flat, you're going to be seeing them all the goddamn time anyway. Um, so you might as well have a group chat and sort of use that to your advantage if you are feeling low. Because talking about it helps so much than bottling up. Hmm. Basically be each other's therapist. No, no that's, that's good. That's fine. No, it's it's good. I do find that as well. Sometimes when I'm a bit down, I just chat to someone or I talk on the phone to someone or it often gets it away. But yeah, it's so there we go, guys. All right, listen up. There's your takeaway for Edinburgh Fringe. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> what would you say comedy has given you? But like how has it changed you as a person and how has it made your life better? Definitely confidence. When I started using my stand-up persona at like a workplace, which was quite hostile and I felt like alone and threatened, I started using my stand-up persona instead. And that was a lot more confident. People sort of like, not respected that, but definitely paid more attention uh, to that. And it's great. It's good to have a sort of like stage persona, which you can call on if you are in a situation where that's needed. And that would never have happened had I not. But also the friends that you make along the way. This is play some sappy music under this if you want. But some of the some of the strongest friendships that I've developed is through the comedy world and just through contacts and getting opportunities as well. People are never going to be famous uh, overnight um, unless unless you do, of course. Good luck with that. Good luck. But it does take a lot of effort, and that's what I learned as well. Like I thought, my first year at the Fringe five-day performance at a piano bar on the edge of Edinburgh. I thought, like, going in, I'm going to be discovered, I'm going to be a star. And I wasn't, and that was just a kick in the ass that I needed to be like, you know what, you need to work on this. You are not ready uh, for this. And you need to be honest with yourself as well. And, yeah, like, this sort of comedy, well, I want to be, like, the best person I can be. And I don't think I would have got to that realisation had I not been doing comedy. Because, obviously, you want to be the person that people pay to see you want to be the person that people travel to see and perform you've got to be the best you've got to be the best person you can be not the best comedian in the world but the best show that you can do that you owe it to them if people are if you get to a stage where people are paying to see you do a show in london right you have to sit there and do an hour of your best work because it's a it's it's just spitting in their face if you don't you have to be the best person you can be and that's what comedy's taught me hmm yeah that's be a giver <laughs> now it's been great to have you on frizz it's been Thank a you. lot of 
It's been a lot of fun. It's been a bit of therapy. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's fine. Therapy is absolutely brilliant. But what for people that want to find out about you, how do they find out about you? Well, I'm I'm one of these person who uh, got the uh, same username on all platforms. Um, so, uh, Frizz Frizzle uh, one Z then two. Uh, that's my username on YouTube, Twitch, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, I basically cross post the same content on one platform or the other. So follow me on your preferred social media and I'll be there doing my cock jokes. All right. Don't get cocky. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bad pun. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah. So if you want to find out about him, you know where to go, guys. And you said you, 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 you may have a few shows coming. Is that right? Yes. Um, I've got uh, I'm doing the Nottingham Comedy Festival in November. Um, and I've got three dates for the Leicester Comedy Festival in February, where I'll be doing my brand new show, which is called um, Let's Get Frizz Frizzle, Frizz Frizzle, I Want to Get Frizz Frizzle, Let's Get Into Frizz Frizzle, Let Me Hear Your Body Talk, is the full title of the new show for 2022. So book your tickets now, because they're free. Okay, you guys, you know where, the, well, I've already said the same thing. Uh, Frizz, it's been a pleasure. Thank guys, um, I'll see you guys in the next episode. Take care, everyone.